BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music and lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And welcome to our Sminty Fiction segment, which is a once-a-month thing where our excellent super producer Christina comes in, makes something amazing out of some words I wrote in 2010 for NaNoWriMo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is ongoing. It is, uh, yes, once a month. But I do think we might have missed a month. Uh, anyway, yeah. it's happening. Yeah, we had a lot of stuff. And when you have short months, oof, it's yes. hard to keep it together. It is. We got a lot going on. Um, so this is Chapter 8 of Terminus. But I actually think it's Chapter 7 because there was a mishap somewhere. Um, I can't tell if it was in my original document, which I have like seven documents, and I think I'm pulling from a bunch of different ones, where I edit, I make small edits, you know, and then they're essentially the same, but one of them's better. I think I'm pulling from like the first one I wrote. Anyway, I'm pretty sure this is actually chapter seven, but because it was such a long chapter, we have split it into two. So this is going to be 8.1. Oh. And I was telling you, Samantha, because my chapter links are wildly varying. I think it's because I like to end on kind of you're like, oh, what? Like, I like to end on a, they call it a button in acting, but, Ooh. you know, uh, or you want to go to the next chapter. But this was quite a longer chapter because <laughs> I guess it took a while for me to get to that button. Uh, so we split it up. And uh, content warning before we get into it, because this is, yeah, if this is not, you're saying this is like the worst time for it to be coming out. But anyway, all right. So the world is kind of dying off because of this sex-based virus that's just killing everybody. Um, and because of this virus, any child, basically, uh, once you have <laughs> vaginal penis intercourse, if you don't get pregnant, then that's it. 
no more pregnancy for you. So any child who is born is born under the jurisdiction of the Board of Better Parenting and this religious organization called ARMARM, who works with the governments, and they believe that the virus is due to the sinful nature of humanity. So after giving birth to a child outside of a conception center, illegally, Tilda runs away with her son, Madison, in order to keep uh, him from being separated from her. And so this takes place seven years later when she and Madison are facing these stark circumstances. Um, Winter is coming. Their clothes are thin. They don't have any supplies. Um, And in their desperation, uh, they were captured by the government's enforcers who had been looking to capture them because they are a, quote, priority number one case. However, Tilda and Madison are able to escape, but Tilda is shot, car chases, running away. Tilda is now recovering under the care of a woman named Lynn while wrestling with this really low self-worth about her parenting um, and fears of being discovered by enforcers. So that's your... I guess that was the synopsis, not the the content warning. The content warning is uh, depression sadness, loss of child, um, stigma around sex, internalized ableism around disease. And I also want to say, I wrote this in 2010, and oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. This is so much like The Last of Us, okay? They go to Kansas City! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, The Last of Us came out in 2013. But the ideas, you know, they're always out there in the ether. (laughs) But if you hear a lot of similarities, I swear I wrote this before I ever played The Last of Us. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, with all of that out of the way, let us get into chapter 8.1 of Terminus. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. (laughs) I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today. 
Distorted images unfurled, Tilda's mind both feeding them and devouring them. She was writing a word over and over and over again. She didn't know what the word meant, only that she had to keep writing it. Even though her fingers cramped, her wrist ached, her arm heavy like lead. She wanted to stop. The pencil reduced down to the stub, papers crammed with the words she could not read littering the floor, her handwriting growing progressively worse. She wanted to scream, to ask, to know why she was condemned to this word, why she was shackled to something she didn't understand, what it meant, but she had no voice. She sat at a desk, like the one she sat at when she'd been instructed on the dangers of sex, the penalties of intercourse outside of a conception center, and without state approval. The room was barren, hers the only desk, the walls gray, stripped, a scratched blackboard somehow ominous stretching out before her and coppicing her view. Behind her, there was no wall, though she could not see this or turn to verify it. She could sense that nothing stood between her and the world she had her back to. She could feel the monochrome park abandoned, leeching the life out of her. As if through water, she heard a female voice screaming, but she hunched her shoulders in to shield herself from the woman's pain, doing all she could to ignore it. She couldn't face it. She'd rather write this word she didn't understand until her fingers rotted off than to face whatever was happening behind her. But the screaming was getting harder and harder to ignore. <gasps> Tilda gasped herself awake, her heart pounding. It took a moment for her to remember where she was, waking up warm and comfortable, an alien sensation to her now. But the events of the day came flooding back to her, almost a dream in itself. So much had happened in such a short time. Her eyes did not adjust, so complete was the darkness. She relaxed back into the pillow, jumping again when something moved by her side. Madison curled up against her, the blankets hiding him from view. Tilda released a shaky breath, petting his hair absently. When a flash of light caught her eyes, she whipped her head toward the window where the edges of wide beams of illumination played with the curtains. The enforcers had found them, just as Tilda knew they would. But despite the fear, the racing of her heart, Tilda found she was too tired to care, and she sank into darkness again. When she next opened her eyes, it was morning, or at least it felt like morning. The sun cast a light made gray by the many clouds in the sky. Her head ached with the intensity of her sleep like she'd almost drowned in it, gone so deep she nearly passed the point of no return. Groaning aloud, she sat up. Her back popped in protest. She massaged her temples, trying to find strength to get out of bed. The smell of cooking food and cheerful voices convinced her to rally, fighting with the blankets and her footing. She hobbled down the hall, bumps in her hair, bouncing from the odd way it dried, pressed against the pillow. Madison was laughing when Tilda entered the kitchen. He was assisting Lynn at the stove, the woman helping him stir some batter. Splotches of flour streaked his cheeks and dotted his nose as he regaled Lynn with all the facts he knew about random forest animals. Lynn caught sight of Tilda first and gestured to her with her eyebrows. Madison, who was in the middle of explaining all about wild turkeys, stopped mid-sentence, mouth comically agape as he called Tilda's name and rushed over to her, greeting her with an enthusiastic hug. We're making pancakes, he told her gleefully as she carted her hand through his hair. That seemed out of the realm of possibility to Tilda, a food that had to be long extinct. At the flabbergasted expression on Tilda's face, Lynn supplied, they're made with oat and honey. I don't have milk, so we'll have to use water and honey for the syrup as well. 
She planted flowery hands on her hips. I was listing off options for breakfast, and the poor dear had no idea what I was talking about when I mentioned pancakes. I had to remedy that post-haste. Batter poured out onto the griddle with a sizzle. Madison bounced over, watching Lynn avidly. Lynn says everyone loved them, he told Tilda Allstruck. Did you like them? Tilda dropped into a chair, old memories like movies playing in the back of her mind, her mother asking her how she'd like her pancakes. Even then, they were a bit of a rarity. Yes, she grinned, with blueberries and sometimes chocolate chips. Wide hazel eyes roved up towards Lynn, who chuckled, just plain this time. She flipped the pancakes and Madison giggled, delighted. Get us some water, will you? Madison obeyed, filling a glass for each of them and setting them on the table one at a time. And the fruit. The boy pulled a bowl of fruit from the refrigerator and put it in the center of the table. Then he turned back to Lynn, mesmerized, as she piled the finished pancakes onto a plate and then poured some more batter. How'd you sleep? Tilda thought a minute. Well, I guess. I slept all day again? Mostly. Lynn flipped the pancakes and Madison giggled again. Tilda licked her lips, dredging up foggy memories. I thought I saw... lights. The woman faltered, sliding the second batch of pancakes onto the plate. Yes. We'll discuss it after breakfast. Tilda addressed Madison. Are you feeling better? Forgot to ask you yesterday. Better, Madison chirped. No more cold. Lynn got me medicine. Good, Tilda sighed, relieved. You sound better. Lynn finished up the last of the pancakes and set them on the table along with some honey. Here we go, she said, scooping three onto each plate and putting forks by each setting. Put some honey on them, just a little. She laughed as Madison upended the bottle over the warm and fluffy pancakes. Now take your time, she instructed firmly, mirth in her voice as Madison froze with a heaping forkful of pancake hovering in front of his unhinged jaw. He bit off half instead, his face screwed up in concentration as he tried to savor every second and pick out every flavor. The expression quickly morphed to joy as the taste set in and he bit off the rest, already shoveling up another forkful. His enjoyment of the pancakes amplified Tilda's, the oats making them heartier than she remembered. Not much was said as they ate. Tilda had to pace herself so as not to get sick. At the start of the meal, she'd promised herself to take a sip of water between every bite, but her resolution didn't last. Soon the plates were cleaned, Madison skipping off to the sitting room to read after his help was turned down and cleaning up. For a while, the only sound was the clattering of plates as they were washed and put away. Then Lynn spoke in a low voice. Enforcers were outside the house last night. Tilda sank into her chair, drained. They have no way of knowing you're here, Lynn reassured her. The car, Tilda whispered. They found the car. Car? Lynn repeated. Tilda swallowed. Lynn took the chair across from her. We, I stole a car from the enforcers. Lynn drew back, surprised. I left it in the car wash a few streets down. They knew I was wounded that I couldn't make it very far. Despair grew with every word she uttered. Her stomach roiled and her delicious pancakes threatened to make a reappearance. The older woman leaned forward, her face soft. Tell me what happened. What I said, Tilda said shakily. We were captured by two enforcers. They stopped to get Madison some cold medicine. We escaped and I took the car, but they shot me. We made it here, hit the car, and I collapsed somewhere near your house. 
apparently. Lynn studied her for a long moment. Tilda, uncomfortable, muttered, We have to leave, Madison and I. They'll find us. No, Lynn disagreed, reaching forward to grasp Tilda's hand. It's no place for children out there. Tilda averted her eyes. I can take care of Madison. Shame welled up in her at the lie. You're just a child yourself, Lynn kept her voice low, not wanting to attract Madison's attention. Tilda, tell me what happened. Tilda opened her mouth to point out she'd already explained. Lynn clarified, I mean, you're much too young to have a child his age, not a state-approved one in a conception center. There was no judgment in the observation. Tilda looked away, opening her mouth and closing it again. Then she shook her head, unable to speak. The sores felt tight on her face. She flexed her hands to keep from scratching them. Lynn seemed to take a moment to gather her thoughts before leaning forward. You can stay here. I can keep you hidden. You'd be safer. A warm bed, warm food, clothes, medicine, a chance for you to teach Madison. He can play with toys, read, do arithmetic. It'd be so much safer for both of you. It all sounded so appealing. Not to worry about the weather, where they were going to sleep that night, where they would get their next meal. But the enforcers would find them. They wouldn't stop until they did. The longer she and Madison stayed, the greater chance they had of being discovered. I can't, she whispered. Though Tilda's declaration was barely audible, Lynn recoiled as though it had been shouted, blinking in surprise. She took a moment and tried a different track, imploring, Think of Madison. He deserves to be safe, to be happy. He's one of the few children we have left to us. Her words felt like a blow, but Tilda didn't back down. The enforcers will keep looking. They won't stop until they find him. Sadness flashed across Lynn's face, something almost calculating following in its wake. Madison could stay. You could leave, draw away the enforcers. Though the words were not said maliciously and obviously cost Lynn a great deal of grief to say them, they still cut Tilda deeply. Leaving Madison was an option she had never even considered, and she supposed on some level that demonstrated what a poor candidate she was to raise him. Keeping Madison safe, even if it meant never seeing him again, was more important than anything. Lynn knew that. So did Tilda. But Tilda wasn't strong enough to make the hard decisions. She never had been, and that's why they were here in the first place. She couldn't let the state take Madison from her, the state that would have found him a loving family that could have provided for him. She was just a dangerously inept substitute for the real thing. She heard herself say, it's not me they want. They want Madison. They'll think Madison is with you, Lynn countered. They won't realize until it's too late. Or you might evade them forever, who knows? We both do, Tilda thought, and it lingered between them as if she had spoken it aloud. You can trust me, I'll keep him safe. They'll never find him here. Tilda could see a shadow of Lynn's past shining through. A woman so excited about a baby that she picked him out coloring books before he was even born, imagining all the things they'd do together and everything she'd teach him, wondering what his favorite color would be, what foods would he like, what games would he play, and what subjects would fascinate him, all the wonderful and terrifying unknown things. Lynn must be envious of Tilda and on some level, bitter. 
that Tilda, a young woman who never planned on a child, who had never sought to have one, and who had little to no parenting skills, had a child, while Len did not. Tilda had thought these things herself. They will. They pick up on the little things. Someone will notice that you're picking up more food than normal or clothes for a child, children's books, toys. People want to believe there's a child around. They'll cling to any sign of one. It will spread and people will think they're just rumors, but the enforcers will be there watching when you think you're alone. Silence fell, faint shock registering on Lynn's face. Years of dodging enforcers had made Tilda observant of all the tiny details, small things that could bring everything crashing down around you in an instant. For every incompetent enforcer, there was a deadly one lurking, unseen, in the shadows. On more than one occasion, only some small random event had saved Tilda and Madison from capture, probably more than she knew. In this, she was more experienced than Lynn, and the sureness in her words surprised even herself. She'd never spoken these things aloud, apart from the occasional rules she gave for Madison to follow. It was just a part of her now, habits and safeguards she did without giving them name or conscious thought. Madison's too curious to keep hidden anyway, Tilda added, a hint of humor in her exhausted voice. Flustered and a tad indignant, Lynn volleyed, I can handle one child. As if on cue, Madison's voice rang from the sitting room. What does Sav... Mean. Despite everything, Tilda smiled tiredly, affectionately. What was that, Mouse? Again, he tried to pronounce the word, adding an extra syllable the second time. Lynn mouthed to Tilda, social studies. Aloud, she said, spell it for his dear. S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N. Grin widening, Tilda called to him. It's pronounced sovereign. Sovereign, he repeated thoughtfully and again a second time. Then he inquired, almost suspiciously, Are you sure? It's got a G in it. Pretty sure, Tilda could imagine his face, brow creased, finger tracing the letters, trying to find meaning in the symbols. Lynn spoke up. It means independent or supreme authority, like a monarch or country. Oh. There was a pause for a moment, then a more excited, Oh! The word fell into place. The sentence understood. Thanks. Both women smiled, but their eyes still carried the burden of his future. Tilda felt in some way she had won, although she couldn't say what or why. You've done a good job with him. Tilda would have scoffed, but the sincerity in the woman's voice had her lifting her gaze to Lynn's, disbelief obvious on her face. Lynn reached forward and gripped one of Tilda's hands. You have. He's a bright little boy, an excellent reader. A little on the thin side, as are you, but that's to be expected, she observed lightly. How long have you been on the run? Dazedly, the answer came to Tilda. Almost six years. Behind her glasses, Lynn's eyes narrowed and her forehead crinkled. Madison is seven, yes? At Tilda's confirming nod, she clarified stiltedly. You skated with Madison when he was one year old. Scratching her nose self-consciously, Tilda muttered an affirmative. A ghast awe dawned like molasses across Lynn's face. How did you escape? Unaccountably embarrassed by Lynn's scrutiny, Tilda bit her lip, unable to think of something she could say that could cut to the point and make it so she didn't have to say anything else. That was part of her life she avoided thinking about, a fuzzy nightmare that could only hurt on further inspection. 
Most of the time, it didn't even feel like reality, but a dream she'd had years ago that still lingered in the deepest recesses of her memory. She'd been so young then, impulsive. And for better or worse, here she and Madison were because of it. Regaining her stride, Lynn continued, You can't go on as you have. That's no sort of life. I have no idea how you've carried on this long. Tilda had no response for that. Lynn was making her feel young and silly, and the older woman's gentle reprimand, her shock at what their lives had been, gave Tilda a renewed perspective on how dangerous their situation was, how ridiculous it was for her to think they could continue this indefinitely. We can't stay here, Tilda reiterated, her voice barely above a whisper. We can't. Lynn opened her mouth to argue further, but Tilda's set face stopped her. There's nothing I can say to change your mind. She tried, resigned. Tilda shook her head, wishing her answer could be different. Lynn straightened, hands splayed on the table. What will you do? A shrug of the shoulders was the only answer Tilda had. What we've been doing, I guess. How will you get out without the enforcers knowing? A heavy sigh escaped past Tilda's lips, what she'd done her whole life suddenly insurmountable. At night, we'll stick to dark alleys. Lynn's disapproval of this plan was evident on her face. A tinge sourly, she followed up with, and where will you go if the enforcers don't get you first? We were heading west, Tilda offered flimsily, feeling like an underprepared student under a strict teacher's microscope. I hear there are less enforcers out there, less state officials, only the one conception center in California. A fierce battle seemed to be waging inside Lynn's mind. With a weary huff, she hung her head, running a frustrated hand through graying hair. Tilda watched her, nonplussed and distracted, already plotting various escape routes. There's a place, Lynn forced out in a hushed voice, giving in, in Kansas City, somewhere near the Liberty Memorial. Dan Moscrov told me about it. It's against my better judgment to tell you this. She broke off, glancing towards the sitting room where Madison sat reading, oblivious. There's an underground resistance there. She paused, licked her lips, her face grim. They are working on a cure. Silence like a void sucked out the air in the kitchen. What? The word fell from Tilda's lips and dropped like a dead thing between them, dull and lifeless. She felt sure she'd misheard. Lynn rubbed her face. A cure? I, I hear they're close, at least. I've heard rumors that... She trailed off, staring at a blank space on the wall. A cure, Tilda choked out. To HSV-5? An odd half-shrug, half-nod, accompanied by a desperate peal of laughter was the woman's response. No more sores. People could have babies again. Tilda's mind could not fathom such a world. Lynn's shoulders twitched again. I don't know. Maybe. But at the very least, it should be somewhere you could hole up, stay safe. Dan told me they have quite the system going. Tilda couldn't help herself. Can you trust Dan? She didn't want to get to Kansas City, only to find nothing. Yes. Lynn looked loath to admit it. He wouldn't lie. Honesty is just who he is. It's his makeup. Tilda fidgeted with her hands. Do you think there's a cure? that there could be one as a doctor. 
It sounded too good to be true, the wishful thinking of a dying race, a lie propagated to give some sense of hope. Lynn met her eyes, regaining some control. Yes, HSV-5 is not unlike other diseases humanity has overcome. The only anomaly lies in patient zero. We never could pinpoint from where the disease originated or how it managed to remain dormant until the first instance of intercourse. But other than that, I've always thought that a cure was possible. I kept waiting to hear the announcement of one, in fact, but it never came. And we grew less and less. The possibility of a cure had never occurred to Tilda. She just accepted HSV-5 as part of their lives and a movable object. A blight they'd all accepted as fact now and forever. A life without it, a life where Madison didn't have to fear being stolen away to conception centers, wouldn't have to face the shame that came with the sores of sterility on his face, could have a family. She could envision it. She wondered if Madison could. But if there was a chance, she had to try for Madison. How far is Kansas City? Lynn's face twisted, Tilda's decision obviously made. She sighed heavily. Not far by car. About a day and a half's walk, I'd guess. With perspective gained from years of being a nomad, that didn't seem far. Not at all. This was doable, completely. The enforcers complicated things. Do the enforcers know about this resistance? Lynn rejoined, I can't see how they wouldn't, but they don't know where it is or else they would have been shut down by now. As in they don't know what city or... I don't know. It's dangerous. Tilda ruminated on this, thinking of what she knew about the enforcers, their numbers, their strategies, their technology, trying to anticipate what she and Madison might face. But she didn't know enough to make an accurate prediction. They'd have to be extremely cautious. If you're set on this, Lynn started darkly, a minute pause where she waited, hopefully, for Tilda to contradict her. When she didn't, Lynn continued dispiritedly, you'll need warmer clothes. Ah. In the whirlwind set off in her thoughts by the word cure, she'd forgotten about the weather. And rations. I'm not sending you and Madison out there with no food and water. She sat back in her chair, crossing her arms. I wish you weren't going at all. Tilda gave her a half smile, saying delicately, you would have been a great mother, Lynn. Tears glistened in the woman's eyes, a shaking hand pressed to her mouth. You've got the worrying and caring thing down pat. That garnered a watery chuckle from Lynn, her shoulders dissolving into shakes. Tilda didn't know how to offer to comfort her, so she stood witness, witness to all the damage wrought by HSV-5. Families ripped apart, futures obliterated, hopes lost, a race facing slow extermination. So much devastation caused by a mindless virus so small it was invisible to the naked eye. The tears passed, and Lynn visibly pulled herself together. With a snuffle, she asked, When will you leave? Tilda looked out the window, weighing the pros and cons of staying one more night versus taking off once the sun had set. She flexed her leg experimentally, only to find a ghost of her previous pain. Tonight. We'll leave tonight. Lynn sagged. You really should wait one more night. Your leg is still healing. But Tilda shook her head. The longer we stay, the harder it will be to leave. A giggle came from the sitting room. Every year of Lynn's life, every heartbeat carved deeply into her skin, making her look frail. But then she steeled herself. Well, we better start packing then, hadn't we? She got to her feet, more in control now that she had something she could do, striding down the hall and disappearing into a room at the end of it. 
Tilda considered following her, checking to see if she needed any help, but she sensed Lynn wanted a moment alone to collect herself. Tilda sat, staring vacantly at the wooden table, wanting to put off dealing with what was to come as long as possible, a course of doubt rising now that she'd made her decision. When she finally pulled enough strength, she stood, tiny details of the kitchen jumping out around her. The peeling wallpaper, beige with blue stripes, the countertop chipped in places, wide slatted blinds and flowery drapes on the window over the sink, a spatula painted like a snowman. This was home, these things screamed at her, leaping in her mind's eye. This is what you've been searching for. Why leave? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. And that brings us to the end of our fiction segment for this month. Uh, you will get part two of chapter eight uh, soonish within a month. If you're thinking, well, that didn't end where I thought it would. Yeah, well, it wasn't intended to, but here we are. I did want to briefly address Lynn's reaction to kind of trying to convince Tilda, like, hey, you could give me. Madison, like I could take care of Madison and you could go out and kind of this like very subtle tension. Well, I don't know. You could argue with me about subtle, but um, between Lynn and Tilda, where Tilda feels like, oh, Lynn would have been such a better mother than I would be, but I can't leave Madison because this has been my whole thing. I never intended, and I hope it didn't come off this way, but yeah, again, you can argue with me about it. I meant it more to be kind of like a two women talking about what was the best option they could take. 
and much less like a kind of cat fight kind of thing, which I don't think it is. But I just when I was reading it, I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of more tense than I remember it. But, you know, arguing about like what is the best thing for this child when there aren't that many children left. Uh, and ultimately, Lynn is like, yeah, I trust you. And it is cool. Like, it is cool to see that moment of Tilda being like, actually, I, I have been doing, I have been taking care of him and I have seen this world and all this stuff. So I do know more about it in this context. But yes, this is sort of the, you know, it's nice. She has a nice home. She has like working electricity. She has food. It would be nice to stay there and Tilda being like, we can't stay because there's this danger and it'll put Lynn in danger. It'll put them in danger. Making that tough decision and then deciding to leave. But what will happen next? Um, we shall see. <laughs> yes. And if you have any theories, I love hearing them. Uh, you can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram and TikTok at Stuff Mom Never Told You and also YouTube, if that's your thing. Uh, thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And Samantha. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today.